praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Bless you. Take a seat. Unity. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. This morning we'll be looking at Psalm 133. And how good it is when brothers and sisters, kindred, live together in unity, dwell together in unity, when with one heart and mind, with deliberate purpose, we make steps to work together to see growth in each other and in those around us. How very good and pleasant that is. When we understand what is good, that God is good, what God requires of us and what we ought to be. And when we also find that good thing pleasant, when we find it something to rejoice in, something to delight in, we actually discover that everything is as it should be. When we know God is good and we delight in him, we, we encounter the one true holy God. And this is good and pleasant. This is a great thing. This is a wonderful thing. This is a beautiful thing when we encounter a good God and we rejoice in it. The psalm today does not leave us guessing as to what it is about. It is about unity. And in the next two verses of this psalm, which is quite short, only three verses long, there are two similes that describe what this unity is like how it feels, what it does to kindred, to family, to a community like us, a church, who are brothers and sisters. We are kindred. You are my brothers and my sisters in the faith. But first, before we move to those two similes, there's a phrase in this very first verse, when kindred live together, which I've now said about 15 times, so, you know, we're going well. But there's a reason for that. Because this phrase, when kindred live together, leads us to two very important examples concerning unity. For it appears in two prominent places in the book of Genesis as people, you might guess, live together, as kindred live together. Two places where this phrase is used in Genesis, exactly. And I, I don't hesitate too much to think that maybe there's something going on in this. The first time this phrase can be seen is in Genesis chapter 13. And this is the time when Abraham and Lot separate from one another. Genesis 13 tells us that they had come together in the land, but that their flocks and herds were too great between them to stay together on the same patch. Their families were too big. Their flocks and herds were too big. They couldn't couldn't manage the space. I don't know if you've ever had that situation with family before. There was strife between the herders, Genesis 13 tells us, and they began to fight with one another. And so the family separated. Lot settled near Sodom and Gomorrah, the city which later in Genesis would be destroyed. And one thing that we can take from this is that this was not good. 
and it was not pleasant. They didn't have unity. The families were fighting. Is this not often the case when it comes to breaking unity in our lives as Christians also? We get territorial about our own little patch or our own thing that we have focus on, and we don't want to share. Strife occurs, and often people get hurt. We get hurt. The bigger picture of what we were striving to do together is lost, and we can't see what it was that unified us. It's like we become like a racehorse with blinders on. We can't see outside the narrow vision we've created for ourselves. We literally become blinded in areas of our vision and those that we were unified with. It can be hard to take these blinders off. I know I've had trouble doing this in the past. It can hurt to take the blinders off because we might need to confront things within our own hearts and lives that aren't necessarily good, that are maybe selfishly motivated or not right. But we must take the blinders off. It's a conundrum. We have to take the blinders off. We can do this only with God's help. For this, in fact, is, in a nutshell, really the Christian life. We don't just confirm a creed or a statement of faith or say a prayer and magically become a Christian. Being a Christian is an everyday journey of growth and discovery, repentance and forgiveness, giving of grace and acceptance of grace, ensuring unity with others and, of course, with our God. This is the Christian walk. And the Apostle Paul actually encouraged us in this as well. He said in Romans 12, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That can be tricky, especially if we don't agree. Your sheep are taking up my space. Go away. If it is possible, so far as it depends on us, live peaceably with all. We have a responsibility as Christians to strive for unity. It can be hard taking those blinders off, to be peacemakers in our world, to work together to see God work in and through us. This is incredibly important in the church, in our church context. For the church is God's plan. You are his plan. Sometimes it's, it's easy to forget that, that the church is God's plan to bring people back to him, to preach the message of the gospel, to share the love and unity of Jesus Christ with the world, to reunite those that don't have connection with him, with him. The church needs to be unified and how very good and pleasant it is when the church is unified. I wonder if you've experienced moments of unification in the church that are that delight, that pleasant, that joy. That's attractive when the church is like that. The second phrase we see with when kindred live together in Genesis is in chapter 36. This time it's in reference to Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob and Esau had had a pretty rough going. They definitely didn't have unity for a long time in their lives. But in Genesis 36, they've actually reached a place of unity. This is after all of the trouble in the early parts of their life. And they've been reunited. And they're living peaceably with one another. 
In this instance, in this narrative, there is no strife, no fighting. And what is interesting is that the reason for them separating is exactly the same as Abram and Lot. They separate for exactly the same reason. The scripture says that it was because their flocks and herds were too great. But they don't fight. Their parting is not painful. Unity wasn't broken. Even though they went their separate ways, they still separated, but there was no break, there was no fight. And the key, I believe, to how we maintain unity, especially in the church, is that with the blinders off, we are able to have love for one another and able to see the perspective of those around us and to see how we can work together in the future, even if we don't entirely agree or if we're not going to be in the same space as before. This story, this separation was good and it was pleasant. It wasn't painful. We learn then that love is the cord that ties us together in unity. Love, no matter our different opinion, sustaining unity begins with love. Sustaining unity begins with love. There are two similes, as I mentioned, in the next two verses that tell us further what this pleasant, good unity is like. How love is involved. How love sustains. The second verse reads, It is like the precious oil on the head, running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. The image being painted here is one that speaks of how unity is an issue of consecration. That might sound strange, but unity, according to this passage, is connected with holiness. Because what is being described right here is what happened in Old Testament times when individuals were appointed to a task, like Aaron is. They were anointed with oil, for this task. Aaron was appointed to be a priest of God, and kings were appointed for their rulership. And we also know that Christ himself was appointed for his role. Christ literally means Christos in Greek, anointed one, literally. And Messiah in Hebrew means one who is anointed. There is a commissioning, a consecration, a making of holiness so, good and pleasant unity is holy, it is consecrated, it is perfect, just as God's love is perfect. We see that in this verse, the oil is running down all over. Oil is running, it is excessive, it is over the top. This is a powerful thing. It is running down over the beard. I have a nice beard happening right now. Actually, some, of, some people have asked whether Bowen and I are having a beard-growing competition. Look, we're not, but if we were, I'm winning. Uh, but this is a scriptural mandate for us to have beards, so it's okay, it's all right. We, we, can, we can get away with it. Is that okay, Stuart? Yeah, good, all right. <laughs> My wife actually said I could grow this. I was very pleased. 
the oil running down over the beard, excessively, down over the collar, over the robes, all the way. This is good and pleasant. The oil is getting everywhere. And this is exactly how it works when unity is at its best. Unity at its best in Christians is excessive. It washes all over. It is coated. It is covered with love. Love is on display when Christians have unity. When we care for others, when we pray or give practical help, this excessive care demonstrates unity to those outside of these walls more than anything else ever could. It's a holy thing. It's a good thing. It's a pleasant thing. It's love on show in unity, just like oil running down over the beard. Secondly, besides the oil flowing so richly all over, it is like the Jew of Hermon, this unity, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. The Jew of Hermon, Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is on the border of modern-day Syria and Lebanon, which once was a part of Israel. It is the highest point in the region at 9,000 feet. The dew comes down from a great height, this verse tells us. It comes down from heaven, refreshing and cool, to the mountains of Zion. The root for the Hebrew word Hermon means consecration, interestingly, showing some affinity to the last simile that we talked about. This dew comes down from the holy mountain. The mountain could be seen from looking north anywhere within 40 miles to its southern end. And today the mountain is called Jebel Esh Sheikh, the chief mountain of the region. It is also the mountain that scholars believe is the Mount of Transfiguration in the New Testament, where Jesus was transfigured and Moses and Elijah came down. Some holiness there too. The Jew falls from Hermon onto the mountains of Zion. And the most prominent mountains of Zion, the most prominent mount of Zion, is the city of David, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is only at 2,500 feet. It's a little bit shorter than 9,000. The dew falls down onto the mountains of Zion. And again, this was the holy city, Zion. The place where God had placed his marker on earth, where God had committed himself to the Hebrew people. The place where we know the Saviour would also die. Good and pleasant unity comes from God. It comes from Him. It comes down from Him. It's not something we manufacture or put together ourselves. It's because of God. It is founded in love for one another, but it is a God-formed thing, like dew from the heavens. When it comes, it can be seen everywhere. When unity is formed, it's obvious, like dew falling from the heavens. And I wonder if you have ever walked through a field or a forest in the early morning or in the evening that is covered in dew. I wonder if you've walked in completely dry and walked out completely wet, even just on a morning stroll, perhaps. This is the image of unity we see here. This simile, like dew that can be seen everywhere, it sticks to you and is noticeable. People can see it. You get wet and covered with unity. 
It overflows just like the oil overflows. It's obvious, it's, it's pervasive, it gets everywhere. I pray that Christians see this unity in us. And I'm afraid they often don't. They often see a church that is fractured, fighting amongst itself. Not talking about love or grace or how to accept others best. But we can be this. We can be this as a church. Once again, with God's help, as we take our blinders off, we can be this. If we commit to love first and not judge first. We can be unified if we commit to love first and not judge first. At the end of this psalm, at the end of this verse, there's a bit of prophecy going on. The psalmist, I wonder if he had any inkling what he was writing here. There the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. He's referring to Zion, of course, and we mentioned that Christ died there. The psalmist may not have known how very right he was when he talked about life forevermore in connection with unity happening in Zion. Because ultimately, what unifies us the most is Jesus Christ himself. This is the ultimate unifying power. When we're unified with him, we have life forevermore. The work is done when we believe in Jesus Christ. It is finished, as Jesus himself said on the cross. He made it possible. And this unity that I've been talking about this morning is only possible through him. Only possible through him. We must accept and repent of our sin for this to be the case. For there is nothing quite like this unity. Unity with Jesus is very, very good and very, very pleasant. It's the one thing we need to remember above everything else. It's what makes unity possible. It's what takes us broken, frail creatures and forms us the way we need to be. It's how we can see the goodness of God and become more like Christ. Only through Jesus. Only through the cross. So this morning, my prayer for us is that we would be unified. That that unity would be like the oil that runs down the beard of Aaron. It would be excessive and overflowing with love. That it would be like the Jew of Hermon. That it would get everywhere and people would see it. It would be a powerful thing. We have some exciting things in our future church, in every area. We need to be unified. We need to stand as one and trust. Trust the Lord and take our blinders off and help each other to grow. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you that it is finished and we can have ultimate unity with you. I pray you would help us this day and from here on as we love, trust, serve you and each other. Help us to be a church that is unified and is known for its relationships. Help us to love you more. In Jesus' name.